Good morning to everyone from a very, very beautiful Seoul, South Korea, where the firm's consulting team will be here for the next uh, three to four days, meeting our corporate clients and obviously meeting some of our case candidate clients as well, and some of the consultants from McKinsey, Bain, BCG that we mentor as well. A very beautiful part of the world. It's one of my few trips that I've made to Seoul, South Korea, but definitely something we're going to be doing more of. In fact, we're going to be back in Seoul in January next year. So when we say we want to do more of it, we're definitely going to be doing that. But besides a tourist punt for South Korea, I wanted to talk about South Africa. It's a podcast that many, many people have asked us about, and many, many people want us to delve into specific detail about the economy. So today's South African podcast will be about what it is like to work in South Africa for the big consulting firms and what it will take to get in. We're going to talk about some rich detail, rich anecdotes that you're not going to find in forums anywhere. This is based on our own experience of working in South Africa and two recent trips we made to South Africa as well recently for the book Succeeding as a Management Consultant Financial services, we were invited by the Director General of the Department of Trade and Industry and the Director General of um, one of the other government agencies to do a presentation and talk through some of the findings we had in putting together the book and putting together the models. So this is based on our own personal experiences and also the experience with experiences we have of helping our own candidates get into South Africa. And really, I do find that many candidates have a very weak understanding of the South African economy. They tend to lump it with Africa and draw very poor conclusions. Even people I know who visited South Africa or have come from places like Nigeria, Tunisia and so on have a very weak understanding of South Africa. So why is South Africa so popular? Well, it's a number of reasons, right? Firstly, if you speak English, there are very few parts in the world you can go to be a management consultant. There's the United States, there's Canada, there's the UK, there's the Middle East, there's Singapore, there's India, there's Australia. And maybe a few other places I may have missed, but those are the big nations you need to go to, right? And it just so happens that Bain and BCG have recently, in the last year, opened up offices in South Africa. So in terms of recruiting for English-speaking candidates worldwide, these are, South Africa is definitely a hot spot. So let's, let's talk through this podcast. It's quite a long podcast, but I'm going to make it rich in detail to make it interesting. I'm going to talk through the background of South Africa in terms of economy and what this means from a consulting perspective. I'm going to talk a little bit about the sectors and also consulting works that's done in those sectors. Maybe some, something about some landmark projects as well. I'm going to talk about the cities and how the sectors are spread across those uh, cities. Then I'm going to talk about the firms in South Africa, some background about them and sort of the evolution of consulting in South Africa with specific instances of how each of the firms have contributed to the other's growth. I then want to talk about what it's like to work with executives in South Africa because it is different from working in executives in any part of the world. Firstly, before before you, you had sort of the rise of the African classes through affirmative action, you had a similar process in the previous government whereby the um, apartheid government as such tried to hand tried to move power away from the um, English businessman towards the Africana businessman. And that created a situation where South Africa has, for, for lack of speaking, three different types of companies. But we're going to talk about that and what it means. Finally, we're going to talk about hiring. We're going to talk about some famous alums. And lastly, you know, some facts about the cost of living in South Africa. So let's just put things into context, right? South Africa is not a tiny country when it comes to management consulting. Management consulting firms like McKinsey have been in South Africa for a long time, much longer than they've been in other major developing economies. McKinsey came to South Africa, I think it was in 93 or 92, thereabouts. So just as Nelson Mandela was um, about to become president of South Africa, McKinsey stepped in, right? When I say just about to become president of South Africa, of course, that happened in 97, so give or take three or four years. But the point is that McKinsey was there really early and doing interesting work, building their presence and so on. By 1997, 
one of the largest strategy projects in the world was taking place in South Africa and that was the so-called transformation of Sasol around 1997-1996 Sasol which is which was actually the state-owned oil and gas entity of the South African government was being prepared for pri privatization and um, the subsidy would disappear and they brought in consultants to help them with the project. Now I know some consultants who worked on that project. I'd looked at the billable sheets and it's huge. It, it would easily be one of the largest strategy engagements you've ever seen. It was a monster project helping a state-owned enterprise position itself for future growth. Interestingly enough, McKinsey did not do that project. That project was done by Gemini Consulting, heavily staffed out of Morristown in the United States, uh, Paris, London, and obviously then the young South African Cap Gemini office. So in terms of consulting projects, South Africa is not a baby. A lot of people, when they are applying to South Africa, they have this expectation that, you know, the South Africans are going to greet them with open arms. They're foreigners. They have foreign degrees. It's not going to happen like that. South Africans are different. For a developing economy, the elite or the business class of South Africa, rightfully so, believes that they can teach the rest of the world certain things. And if you look at how you looked at how well South African companies have done worldwide, with the likes of S. A. B. Miller, who had to who, who actually sent in, um, I think his name was, I forget the name of the guy, but they sent in a guy, one of the most acerbic businessmen I have ever met in my entire life, to turn around Miller, and he did a fantastic job doing that. So South African businesses have done very well. The culture is very different as well. And South African consulting projects are not small. They don't lack in terms of rigor um, versus projects in London, Dubai, the United States, and so on. And one of the things you've got to understand about South Africa is that it is part of Africa, but it's one of the most well-developed countries in the world, right? The infrastructure that was built um, before apartheid ended was fantastic and the infrastructure that was built on top of that after apartheid ended was also fabulous. So when you go to parts of South Africa you'll be shocked. You'll have to remind yourself that you are in an African uh, city. In fact there's one particular city I think that stands out for me well there are many but you know Santon is amazing. I've never seen so many glittering German luxury sedans on a street per capita in my entire life. If you've ever been to Camps Bay in the south of the country, it's amazing. There's Millionaire's Row. It's it's quite of an unusual country whereby you've got an extraordinarily well-developed business class with amazing companies like Naspers. I'm sure you've heard of, of, of Naspers, which has been buying off internet companies all over the world. And it's one of those tech companies to watch. But the point is that you've got the country spread into two. You've got the really poor, underdeveloped part of the country and you've got the very, very well-developed part of the country. That said, the South African economy is not doing as well as people think. I speak to a lot of people who think that, well, we're going to go to South Africa, and it's, it's an emerging economy, it must be booming. It's not really booming. South Africa's GDP growth rate in a good year may hit 5%, which is pretty bad, actually. In a bad year, like now, South Africa's GDP growth rate is maybe 1% or 2%. South Africa bears many similarities to Brazil in this regard. While there's a lot of hype around it, if you look at the actual numbers, things ain't so pretty. Unemployment is ridiculously high. Crime's a huge problem. Maybe not as bad as Brazil and parts of Russia, but crime's a serious problem. The economy is certainly not growing fast enough to make up for pulling the rest of the country along with it, but it's going fast enough to keep the consultants in South Africa quite busy. The South African econo economic centers are built around certain major hubs and certain industrial zones. The major hubs is what you call Johannesburg, Pretoria, and there's a area in the south which I forget what it is. But that's where the heart of the country is. Uh, 
and there's about probably 32% of the GDP generated in that small area. Other major hubs would be the Cape Town hub, which is in the south of the country, and then the uh, Durban Pitamarisburg hub, which is in the east of the country. And then because of the strength of mining in South Africa, you do have major mining industrial complexes which are not in these major cities. For example, you have um, the mines in the deep interior of the country, mining for platinum and mining for gold. You have some of the uh, new ports being built in the east of the country. But the point is, if you do work as a consultant, the bulk of your time is going to be spent either working out of Johannesburg, Pretoria, or working from those locations for mining companies in other parts of the world, sorry, other parts of South Africa, or maybe even working in Botswana, Mozambique, Angola, and so on. Very little work is done in, in KwaZulu-Natal, um, that's the Durban Pitamarisburg complex, and even less work is done in Cape Town, although insurance companies tend to have a large presence in Cape Town, and so do retail companies. And when we talk about the history of consulting in South Africa, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So the economy is growing, but certainly not as fast as it needs to grow. There are structural problems in that economy. Education in South Africa has always been a big problem. You know, there's just not enough people going into educational institutions. And beyond that, there's not enough engineers and uh, graduates coming out of the business schools and the, um, and the engineering schools. South Africa bears a similarity to Britain, which makes sense, considering it was a colony of Britain for such a long time. But also, even though the, that relationship ended for several decades the cultural heritage is obviously retained. And the problem South Africa has is that the MBA programs are largely not as well developed as they could be. Now, I know people listening to this, we have UCT MBAs, University of Cape Town MBAs, uh, Gordon Institute of Business School, Gordon Institute of Business Science MBAs, which is the MBA program at the University of Pretoria, or those people who graduated from the University of Witwatersrand, which is the other big school, and, for example, Stellenbosch, right, which is another school in the south, are going to tell me, no, I'm not right. But the reality speaks for itself. There are very few South African CEOs with MBAs. I've yet to meet a South African CEO with an MBA. What invariably happens is that most South African CEOs have chartered accountancy degrees, and that is the nature of things. South Africa bears that similarity in many respects to the UK and also to uh, Australia, right? The, the MBA programs are very, very young. So they haven't had time for the graduates to proliferate the ranks of management. That does have serious implications for people with MBAs who just move in and think, you know what, they're going to make a big impact. Yes, McKinsey, Bain, BCG do hire a lot of MBAs as they always do. But in South Africa, you notice they do bring in people quite extensively with broader skill sets. So South Africa does have a skill shortage but that said at the top where there's severe competition there's also less spaces available so while there may be a skill shortage there's a skill shortage across the country but for those few lucrative positions at McKinsey, Bain and so on there's severe competition for those positions. So let's look at the major sectors right there are what I would call five major sectors governing South Africa there's the public sector there's financial services there's retail there's transportation and bulk material and there's mining so let's talk about each one and it's roughly the kind of work being done, who are the clients, some signature projects, and you know how much fees are generated from these sectors. Public sector is huge in South Africa. If you go to South Africa, you are going to be doing work in the public sector. And you need to get comfortable with that. Beyond doing work in the public sector, which I think is a little bit boring, South Africa does some very interesting kind of public sector work, which is work for state-owned enterprises. We 
have had a lot of interactions with people who have we, we've placed in South Africa, and they always tell me how much they hate the work. Some of them like it, but mostly they hate the work. State-owned enterprises are companies that are either majority-owned, outright-owned, or materially influenced by the government. South Africa has some mega state-owned enterprises. They have Eskom, which is one of the world's largest integrated power utilities embarking on one of the world's largest capital expansion programs to put in new transmission lines, to put in new power plants, and if everything goes right, hopefully finally you know, privatize that distribution network which they've been trying to do for the last 15 years. Eskom is one of the largest spenders of consulting services in South Africa. If you've ever been to Megawatt Park, you must do this. You must walk into the lobby, go to the cafeteria, right, carry some food with you, and then there's a nice little koi pond. You need to walk across the koi pond. And it looks like a little computer game where you move your cursor around and all the fishes follow you because that's exactly what the fishes do there. Beyond that, maybe a little bit of a digressing anecdote, Eskom is, is a monster stuff a company they started a turnaround program in the sort of the mid 2005 actually started in 2003 2004 where the initial work was done interestingly enough that initial work was not done by McKinsey again it was done by Gemini some of the work was done by Accenture and then in 2005 McKinsey came in to do a major supply chain project and then in 2008 McKinsey came in to do a major transformation program and then in 2010, they also went in to do quite a large piece of work to determine how Eskom should position itself in light of the major blackout South Africa experienced between 2008 and 2010. Right, so Eskom is a major spender of fees. They're, interestingly enough, based in Santon in a suburb, I think, called Sunning Hill, if I'm not mistaken. And they're a huge, huge spender of consulting services. If you work as a consultant in South Africa, you are going to be working for Eskom. So you need to understand Eskom. Other big public sector clients include Transnet. Transnet is very interesting because Transnet at one stage owned South African Airways. They own most of the major bulk commodity rail, railway lines taking coal from the interior of the country into the um, ports and they also own some of the port terminals. They've owned, um, they owned hotels at one stage, they own helicopter services. Maria Ramos who used to be interesting enough, she started off as a teller for a company called Folks, I think it was Folks Bank. And she worked her way up the ranks until she became a chief economist and advisor. I think it was advisor, not chief economist, to the Minister of Finance. From there, she went in to run Transnet, which she did a, an amazing job with McKinsey. McKinsey helped her there extensively, actually. I've seen some of the presentations she used, and I think McKinsey put together their presentations as well. But they did a very good job because they've they slimmed down Transnet, kept it focused, moved SAA off the balance sheet, which, interestingly enough, the debacle that led to SAA failing so badly was a project done by Bain, but we'll come to that later. And Maria Ramos did a fantastic job from Transnet. She was headhunted to go into APSA, and McKinsey has always been strong in the financial services sector, but she took McKinsey with her into APSA. Right, so public sector. There are other big public sector clients. I'm not going to name all of them. You know, the development finance banks in South Africa are particularly active. You've got the Development Bank of Southern Africa. You've got Kula Enterprises providing microfinance. You've got the Industrial Development Corporation, which seeded the initial project which gave rise to SASOL which when obviously Sassel privatized, all those dividends helped IDC hopefully replicate their strategy. You've got the National Housing Finance Corporation. So many, many financial services banks owned by the South African government. The other two big ones would be the um, Land Bank, which, meant, which is meant to provide uh, loans to farmers and help with beneficiation. And there are a few others in there. Financial services is dominated by the insurance companies and the 
um, traditional retail banks. If you want to understand South African retail banking, you've got to understand one thing. The banks are extraordinarily safe, very large. Think of Canada, right? I'm sure you've seen recently Canadian banks received this extraordinary ratings for being the safest banks in the world. South African banks were not far behind, right? South Africa has a few big banks. They've got FNB, First National Bank. First National Bank is... The FNB people are not going to like this, but FNB really turned themselves around when the guys from Rand Merchant Bank came in to fix things up. So Rand Merchant Bank, I think there's a cross-holding there with Laurie Dippena's team and so on involved and Chris Harris and so on. The, the, the guys who set up RMB, majority shareholding structure, went in, turned around FNB. FNB went from being a laggard to being one of the most um, innovative banks in Southern Africa. Um, and also they own a number of insurance businesses as well. I think Discovery is also part of that stable, if I'm not mistaken, which is a very, very innovative life insurance company, which has set up certain trends that are now being adopted by British insurance companies and also American insurance companies. So you've got FNB, for many times the laggard, but recently one of the up-and-coming stars. You've got Standard Bank, which has um, been traditionally large, made many ventures into other emerging markets, got their hands burnt in Russia quite a bit, set up a partnership with Renaissance Capital. You've got APSA, which is amalgamated banks of Southern Africa, formed through a merger of four traditionally sort of European banks. Probably, I think it's the largest bank, if I'm not mistaken. I think you've then got Nedbank, Nedcore, as they're called. And I, I may be missing one more. I think you've got FNB, you've got APSA, you've got... Netco, I'm definitely missing one of the other major banks, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. But I'm sure I'll remember them later, right? So banking is big in South Africa, and the banks are most, have most of their operations set up in what's called Bank City, which interestingly enough is not in the nice part of Johannesburg. Bank City is in the middle of the old city of Johannesburg, the original city of Johannesburg. It's a crime-infested part of the country. You will never go for a walk outside of the banking head offices if you do projects there. And you will do projects if you work for Bain, BCG, and McKinsey, because banking brings in... On a good year, it'll bring on, on par billable revenue to public sector work. In a bad year, it'll bring in slightly less. The insurance companies, the majority of them happen to be based out of Cape Town. And you also have a few microfinance industries like Capitec, but they don't hire a lot of consultants, although they are ridiculously profitable at this point. So financial services is big business. And in South African, banks are integrated. They own investment banking, they own trading, they own retail, everything under one roof, right? There are a few niche banks like Investec, uh, but they... They're, they're not into retail banking at this point. They mostly serve high net worth individuals and they do trading. Financial service in South Africa is seen as the career to be in besides management consulting. Retail, big business. South African retailers have been in the news a lot. I'm sure you know that um, Walmart recently acquired MassMart in South Africa to move into uh, Africa. ShopRite Checkers low-cost pioneer, also a big player. Pick and Pay, founded by, I think, by the Ackerman family. In fact, I remember meeting Raymond Ackerman's son once, and he was so proud of the fact that they were the guys who brought in Bain & Company to do a portfolio real realignment. And that was interesting, because I never knew Bain & Company was brought in by a retail house, but there you have it, right? So retail is big business. You will do probably projects in the retail environment, but it's not as big as public sector and financial services. Transportation is a big sector, but Beyond Transnet and SAA and maybe, um, what's the other one called? I forget the name. There's another oil pipeline company in there. Um, transport is, is sort of broken up as part of public sector because you've got some public sector tra 
uh, entities with large transport arms. And we've got mining companies that own railway lines and ports and so on. So I'm going to talk about transportation within mining. Now, mining is big business, right? South Africans know mining. I mean, if you know anything about South Africa, you know Johannesburg was built on a gold mine. You've heard of the Kimberley Hold diamond mining. I mean, the history of South Africa was you had a guy called Cecil John Rhodes who tried to colonize the whole of Africa. You know, you've heard of Zimbabwe, Zambi uh, Zambia, Northern Rhodesia, Southern Rhodesia, named after Cecil John Rhodes. Uh, the point is, he was a megalomaniac, founded the Rhodes Scholarship, which is, everyone knows, Bill Clinton, for example, is a recipient of that. And it's just bizarre to me that bright people are proud to receive a scholarship named after someone who brought about colonization. It's kind of weird, right? But anyway, that's for a different story. So, the point is mining is huge in South Africa. You are going to be doing work for mining companies if you do consulting in South Africa. You can't avoid it. If you want to if you want to get a big bonus at the end of the year and you want to have significant billable revenue, you're going to be doing work in South Africa. And South Africa has all kinds of mining companies. You've got Rio Tinto in there. You've got BHP Bulletin. You've got Anglo-American. You've got, I think Valley is also in South Africa these days, mining for Aino, but I can't know that for sure. You've got coal companies, right? You've got Extrata in South Africa. In fact, South Africa is so big in mining. If you look at the history of mining companies and the leadership, South Africans are all over the place. Marius Kloppers, born in South Africa, played rugby in Pretoria for so-called Taki's team. And in fact, if you listen to stories of Marius Kloppers, they'll tell you that if you played rugby, they may try to bite off your year. He went to the University of Pretoria to do his master's in engineering, went to MIT to get his PhD in material science, and went to INSEAD to get his MBA. Ended up at... Um, McKinsey in Amsterdam, I think for two or three years, saw an, e saw an advertisement put in there by, I think it was Brian, I forget the surname of this executive, a mathematician, Brian, Brian, I forget his name. Anyway, he saw the advert, he sent his ad in, Brian Gilbertson, right? Brian Gilbertson hired him, sent him to run a coal mine in um, South Africa. He was moved up relatively fast through the ranks. Uh, one of his employees came to him and said, look, you know what, I have HIV, I've got a kid, I don't know what to do, can you take her or him? I forget if it was him or her. Marius Kloppers adopted that child, went on to have an illustrious career at BHP Bulletin and appointed CEO of BHP Bulletin. Extrata, the fastest growing mining company in the world. In 2003, Extrata didn't exist. You couldn't find anything about it. By 2011, it's one of the world's six, seven largest mining companies. Started by Mick Davis, Mick Davis, right? Mick Davis, Mick Davis was an interesting character. He served in the army, a little bit of overweight kind of guy, so he couldn't actually serve in the army. He helped them realign their ordering processes. He won a medal for that work. He joined Eskom, became the youngest CFO at the age of 27. When he was told he wouldn't become CEO because of the affirmative action policies, he left, went to BHP Bulletin, became CFO, helped broker that merger. When he was sidelined, he went to Ivan Glassenberg, who is the head of um, Glencore, and told him, look, basically, I want to build a mining company for you. It makes sense. You move commodities. We, are, we control the commodities. If you have access to our information, it gives you an advantage for trading. Ivan Glassenberg gave him um, a copper, sorry, a coal mine in South Africa, and I think it was Colombia, through leverage, basically leverage transactions, highly leveraged transactions. In the space of six years, Mick Davis created one of the world's largest mining companies that today is mentioned the same breath as BHP Bulletin and Anglo-American. And some people would mention them first in that breath. And Extrada just did a kind of a merger, some would call it a takeover of, um, of Glencore, making Ivan Glassenberg a billionaire. Ivan Glassenberg, South African. Mick Davis, South African, right? Um, Anglo-American, obviously, is a South African company. 
um, massive South African assets headed up by Cynthia Carroll, which I, who I think is either an American or a Canadian, but until recently run all by South Africans. The board of Rio Tinto filled with South Africans. Uh, v in fact, the only few South Afri the only few mining companies that don't have a major South African presence, I'm talking about mega mining companies, would be things like Valley, Barrick, which were founded outside of South Africa or don't have a South African presence. So there's no need to bring across South Africans. But South Africans have done a great job in terms of running mining companies worldwide. And wherever you go in the world, if you're in mining, there's going to be a South African there. Big mining operations in South Africa, obviously the gold mines, you've got Anglo-American, you've got Harmony. Don't mention this, them in the same breath. They hate each another because Anglo, because um, Harmony tried to do a hostile takeover for gold fields, and that went really badly for both companies. There's a lot of hostility. You've got a few other mining companies in there, like Anglo Gold Ashanti, which is not part of Anglo-American, separate company. You've got diamond companies. You've got De Beers, right? You've got a lot of platinum companies like Anglo Platinum, Impala Platinum, Lonman Platinum, and so on, right? Lon Platts. Um, you've got um, coal companies. The majors are mining there. You've got local companies mining there. You've got um, titanium being mined. Bottom line is that South Africa is a mining heaven. If you like mining, go to South Africa. If you're Canadian and you've got a mining background, go to South Africa. They will look for those skills. So that's the um, that's the major sectors. In terms of major projects, um, signature projects, I think the work Bain did for Pick and Pay was pretty extraordinary. Pick and Pay's market share, I, I'm going to give credit to Bain for this, went up seven percentage points in the year after Bain did the portfolio realignment work. In terms of mining, I think McKinsey tends to be the dominant player there. BCG is a major player in mining, and I'd be interested to see how they manage that relationship. Despite Bain's extraordinary work with De Beers, Bain was the firm that went into, Alan Bird was the partner actually that brokered that relationship. Alan Bird was from Bain, went to Gemini, went back to Bain, moved to London, and he set up um, uh, the relationship with De Beers, which moved De Beers away from ha having a cartel on diamonds. Through that relationship, Bain has done a lot of work for Anglo-American. They've done work at Anglo-Platinum, major benchmarking studies and so on. Uh, McKinsey has done a lot of work for mining companies. Accenture has done a lot of work. Deloitte has done a lot of work. Monitor has done a lot of work. The point is, the pie is so big, everyone's going to be happy at that table, right? Now, in terms of major cities, I've touched on this briefly, but just to reiterate, the bulk of work will be done in Johannesburg, South Africa, Pretoria. Government work will be split out across the nation, but Pretoria is the seat of government. Cape Town, you can do a lot of financial services work and retail. Eastern Cape, a lot of transportation, logistics work. KZN, the thing about KwaZulu-Natal is that it doesn't really have one dominant sector. I would say FMCG does have a fairly large presence in KwaZulu-Natal, but they tend to be subsidiaries of major of um, multinationals. There is one big FMCG, a behemoth based in South Africa, and that is SAB Miller. However, SAB Miller has moved their bulk of their operations to London, so you can't really call them a South African company anymore. But they do maintain major presence in South Africa because the majority of their revenue comes in from there, and they have something like a 90% market share across key markets in Africa. Right, so let's look at the firms, right? McKinsey went in first. I'll give them credit for that. They went in really early, built a presence. They are the firm to beat in South Africa. McKinsey is the firm to beat. They have a huge office, outstanding people. They have a German partner, Norbert Dürer, right now. They've had a German partner before that. I cannot remember his name, actually. It may come to me. I've met him a few times, but I met him in Mexico. When he when he left South Africa, he went across to Mexico to head up the Mexican office, and he's, a, he's just an amazing guy. I think his name is Thilo. Thilo Manhart. 
Something like that, anyway. So McKinsey is the firm to beat. They are not hiring foreigners at this point. They'll tell you very clearly they've got a lot of expats. They're trying to bring in more locals. So if you're a South African and you've got what it takes and you think you have, you 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 think you have, you think you know you have what it takes. I recommend you apply to McKinsey. What I do like about McKinsey is that most of their partners, in fact, all of their partners, I think, are groomed through McKinsey. So they join McKinsey at the lower ranks and work their way up. Guys like Adam Fine and so on. And they've got many of these guys in there, right? Unlike Bain and BCG, who have so shown a propensity to bring in partners from other firms who don't really understand the culture of Bain and BCG. So Bain came in through Pick and Pain. They uh, did the infamous attempted turnaround of South African Airways, which basically wrecked that, com that company. It was such a debacle that SAA eventually needed a half a billion dollar recapitalization from the Treasury, which didn't even save the company. The company was then eventually pushed out of Transnet, where it was housed, hopefully made standalone and could fix itself. SAA is still struggling substantially. Bain has entered and left South Africa so many times I've stopped counting. So Bain, I do question Bain's commitment to South Africa. I think they just follow markets as opposed to really committed to it. And I know Bain people are going to tell me this time is different, but I'll have to see if this time is going to be different, right? Bain is headed up by, I think it's Vincente Massoni, who is an Italian partner. He's a good guy. I think Vincente, if they sent him, maybe the sign is that they are meant to be there for a long time. But, but and this is a big but, if I see the people who they're hiring, and if I see the partners they bring in, it's definitely short-term tactics. They're not trying to build methodically. They're simply hiring people, in my opinion, who have relationships at senior levels to try to win work. And that's not how a top-tier consulting firm operates. If a Bain person is listening to this, you can probably corroborate what I'm saying. Some of the partners you have that don't deserve to be in a top-tier consulting firm because they don't understand the culture, they don't understand how to do the work, and they pre... pre Merely we're brought in because of relationships. Now, you could argue any way you want to do this. This is obviously my opinion. Um, but I think that if you look at some of the backgrounds of those partners, you would agree with me. BCG, I do have some cons about, concerns about BCG as well. I, I've seen some of the people they're hiring for partnership level. And I, I worry whether they're doing what Bain is doing. You know, just trying to bring in people with senior relationships to get work and, you know, build revenue. If they go down that path, I think they're in a lot of trouble. At the junior levels, I think the recruitment standards are very high. I think they've brought in some talented people. We've placed a lot of people. And I think what makes South Africa unique, like Australia, is the fact that if you don't have an MBA, you do have a shot. If you didn't go to one of these brand name schools, you have a shot in South Africa. Because if you're local and you go to one of the relatively good schools, you'll do well. We've even placed someone who went to the University of South Africa, which is not one of the top five universities in that country. And she also did her master's part-time. And we got into one of the top firms, right? One of the top three. The other big players here would be, and big, I mean size, I don't mean prestige. Although, if they're listening to this podcast, they may disagree with me, but that's okay. Gemini Consulting was there a long time, has done many landmark projects. In fact, if you look at Gem Cap Gemini Worldwide, Gemini South Africa is probably the last outpost of doing pure strategy work and good strategy work at that as, w as well. Deloitte has a fairly substantial presence. Um, I don't know what quality of work they're doing. I haven't really seen them doing anything major, but they have a lot of people on the ground and they have a substantial presence. Um, Accenture, big presence. The thing with the Deloitte and Accenture is every few years they tell me about how they're building up their strategy presence, which means that if every few years they're building it up, that means between the few years when they were building up, it obviously collapsed. So why did it collapse? Why? Who took their eyes off the ball and so on? Monitor is in, in South Africa as well. Monitor is... I. I really worry about the quality of the people and the work. I've seen some of the work. I've seen some of the quality of the people who have tried to get into our program to move to one of the big firms. I'm, I don't think that Monitor 
in South Africa is playing at the league of McKinsey, Bain and BCG. Well, I don't know if Bain and BCG are playing at the league of McKinsey yet because they're too new in South Africa, right? But those two are definitely hiring handover. First, you've got to go. If you're applying, go for Bain, BCG first, McKinsey next. If you're a local, go for B, go for McKinsey first. Monitor has grown through series of acquisitions, um, small offers anyway. And when I say series of acquisitions, actually, let me rephrase that. They've made one acquisition recently. I think they made an acquisition bringing across a few people a few years back. Booze, A.T. Kearney, Rollenberger don't have a presence in South Africa. A.T. Kearney had a presence previously. They sold that off, and I think they merged that into an outfit led by former ministers called Fever Tree, which does a lot of work for the South African government. The other big independent player is Burlington. Burlington Associates was founded... I could be wrong on this, but I think it was founded by Richard Koch, who founded Ali K Consulting, and he's an ex-Bain person. Deloitte acquired Burlington worldwide. Burlington, South Africa said, no thanks. We've seen what it's like to work for, for Deloitte. We'll do it ourselves. Um, history of the firms. Well, McKinsey came in first, and I must hand it to the McKinsey South African team, and that's a top-notch outfit, bar none, right? The one criticism I have of the McKinsey team is that you measure the success of an office by its alumni base, and I've yet to see McKinsey alumni take on senior leadership positions in South Africa. I mean senior, I don't mean piddly little executive vice president positions, I mean CEO, chief executive officer, chief operating officer, chief financial officer of major corporations. Though McKinsey has only been there for maybe, what, 16 years? So, well, 16 years is a long time. So that's my biggest criticism. You know, they're doing well. They're doing all the right things, but they're not able to crack the top yet. Bain, well, Bain. What can you say about Bain, right? A very, very interesting history. Um, Bain has... I think Bain has a lot of potential worldwide. They can do much better than they're doing in emerging markets. They should be stronger in South Africa than they currently are. South Africa should be a major, major center for them to get into Africa. They they walked away from, I think, a good presence because they had too many London-based consultants working in South Africa. The exchange rate was killing them. They were pricing themselves in pounds against the McKinsey brand being priced in South African rand on a dollar conversion. There's no way the Bain brand priced in pounds is going to work against the McKinsey brand priced on a dollar conversion, especially when quite a few projects were being staffed by Canadians in financial services and so on. So the point is Bain had to come into South Africa. I questioned their commitment, right? Bain came to South Africa for pick and pay, stayed through the SAA debacle. Woodrow then came in for Anglo Platinum. Woodrow then came in again doing work from London. Hopefully they stay here. BCG ha actually has been in South Africa longer than most people think, but never a permanent presence. They came in to do some healthcare work, I think, and some work for the government, and then they sort of flew in and flew out as needed. The interesting thing is how these firms are linked, right? You've got Deloitte, who had a... Um, you had Deloitte, who had a director in strategy called, I think his name was Stephen Asprey, who kept Gemini headhunted across to set up um, Gemini Consulting, right? Who then brought across a guy called Alan Bird, who then ended up at Bain, who then went back to Bain, came back to Gemini, went back to Bain in London, helped spearhead the move back into South Africa for Bain, which was then handed over to Vincente. You then got Bain, who founded who gave rise to numerous offshoot little tiny piddly consulting firms called Taurus and Northroad and so on. Taurus was then bought by Monitor. Ta sorry, Northroad was bought by Monitor. Taurus folded. It was never going to go far anyway. Fever Tree x80 Kearney people bought by, well, merged, I think, with a group of guys from Ernest & Young. So it's it's... It's interesting how all the firms are linked together, right? You've got McKinsey coming in first with Deloitte. They were there the first and then giving rise to all these other firms. In terms of um, 
executive levels, as I've mentioned, the South African economy is staffed by chartered accountants, not MBAs. Your MBA will be impressive up to a certain point, I think, but just having an MBA is not enough. You've got to be an impressive individual. I think South Africans do have a good culture. They do have a nice way of interacting. I think you'll enjoy working there, but don't assume because you've got an MBA you can impress anyone. You have to prove yourself. And it is a CA culture. Business in South Africa is run by chartered accountants. They own the domain. They have the higher ground. You go in with an attitude of thinking you are superior to CAs, you're going to be slotted all over the place, right? So, so be very careful of that. In terms of, um, in terms of hiring, as I mentioned, you want to target McKinsey if you're local for now. Target the others if you are foreign. The big thing about South Africa is that it's. I've heard conflicting opinions here, but I think that if you plan badly. You don't network, you don't have pull-in, you're going to struggle to get a work permit. South Africans don't believe they need foreign help. And, well, if you look at South Africa and you travel around, I would agree, they probably don't need foreign help. So, you know, I do find a lot of candidates applying from INSEAD and so on, just assuming because they've got these great degrees from Harvard, Stanford, South Africans are going to fall over themselves. It's not going to happen that way. The biggest thing for South African companies is, will you stay there? Will the investment they make in you translate into you being able to work in South Africa? South Africa is a, it's a summer country. Winters, sometimes the temperature drops to 14, a bad day, usually around 18 to 21. Very hot in summer and it goes up to 38. If you've ever been in something called the, the High Veld or High Felt, I think, High Felt, High Veld, I felt, I think it's called, thunderstorm. It's it's a bit insane. The point is, you need to show people that you want to stay in South Africa. And believe me, South Africa is not a walking society. You walk in the major cities, unless you're in downtown Durban, downtown Johannesburg, downtown Cape Town, downtown Pretoria, people are not walking. The big businesses are not in those major areas. They're in places like Santon and so on. People don't walk. Crime's a really big problem. You're going to have to drive everywhere, right? Although... It's not so bad driving, given the exchange rate, you can probably afford a nice convertible BMW or Audi or something like that. So I think it's not so bad, but you've got to really understand South Africa is not like working in Brazil where you just walk out or Moscow and you can have this great environment. I do feel that if you like cities and you want to go to South Africa, you're going to hate it. South Africa is not a city place. South Africa is more little cities, you know, second cities like Chicago. Okay, I'm picking on Chicago, but it's, it's not city life. If you like city life, you're going to hate it, right? In terms of famous alums, I mean, the, I think the most famous alum that consulting has produced, Bain, BCG, McKinsey, is probably Marius Kloppers. And he didn't even come from McKinsey, South Africa. He just happened to be South African, right? There are obviously other famous South Africans from consulting firms, but they've never really reached the heights of Marius Kloppers. In terms of cost of living, South Africa is ridiculously cheap. You know, when I travel around the world and I look at the price of wine, I almost fall off my chair. A good bottle of wine in South Africa is going to cost 20, 20 rand, the local currency, up to about maybe 30 rand. And the exchange rate is 8 to 1 against the US dollar. So you can do the conversion there, right? Food is amazing in South Africa. They've got all these different cultures in the north. They've got great African cuisine, probably the best in Africa. They've got fantastic French cuisine in Cape Town, Johannesburg. They've got amazing Asian cuisine, not just Indian Asian, but also Taiwan in the east of the country and all over the country. So food is great. Property prices in South Africa, if the economist is anything to go by, r rose more than any other country in the world last year. So when you get a job in South Africa, don't buy the BMW when you get the offer. You go buy property in South Africa, you rent it out, and you let the prices appreciate. 
right? So hopefully you enjoyed that podcast. We will do a similar one in Nigeria and we're going to put up similar podcasts and other major hubs for English-speaking people. Same kind of research. A lot of research went into this. Um, and I must also thank all the uh, readers of Firms Consulting who submitted corroborating material. So hopefully you liked it. As always, I'll be happy to respond as needed.